Cannot be prayed. Hence, me now was found and Solomon grave. Being about a mind to leave it. Dance me now. Dance me. I found me stand up on volcano sound and I burn me ganja pie. Babylon come and tell me that no right. Yeah, right. Me said them coming and them look on Danny Dread. And them say, hey, naughty dreadlocks, so where you come from? You must have two stick of sense under your tongue. Me said, no, officer, Lord, you must be mad. From morning till night until massa got come. Number one, good sense in me not be born. From morning till night until massa got come. Missing music up here and rust come and kicking. Good sense in me now what the DJ punning. And a riff and some nice happiness. Woman pretty and everybody them moving. Listen be the man and we just check on the rhythm. Coke and crack, me knowing that them the thing because it's only Babylon system. Mashing up your life and your style of living. Woman and man, you be the man talking to her. Barring the lady come sing, sing, sing. Under me sense me, under me sense me, under me sense me, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake. Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, to create a place that treats addicts and alcoholics with compassion and connection rather than control. If you're struggling and you want to go to a place where you know people will take care of you in a nice way, I recommend Aloe. I have friends that have been there. They have all told me they have had good experiences. Why have they had a good experience? Because the detox was comfortable. They were coming off hard drugs, and aloe made them feel safe and secure and not that sick. They had years and years and years of experience treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental health disorder or mental health illness, SMI, as we like to say. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Fucking... Sound bath meditation, equine therapy, the incredibly spiritual sweat lodge. Aloe is an amazing place to go. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Sober Link. Somebody cares about your recovery. Unfortunately, relapse is so common, especially when it comes to alcohol, because it is widely available and highly prevalent in many social settings. That's why having true accountability and a deterrent from drinking is so important for staying sober. Soberlink has been empowering and helping people with alcohol use disorder since 2011 and is trusted by hundreds of treatment facilities. The Soberlink system consists of a portable handheld device that documents proof of sobriety in real time, keeping you connected to your family, friend, sponsor, treatment professional, recovery coach, or anyone else who worries about your well-being. As an exclusive offer to our listeners, email info at soberlink.com and mention Dopey for 50 bucks off your device. Get some help staying off the sauce and write info at soberlink.com. Mention Dopey for 50 bucks off your device. Do it for someone who cares. Thank you. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Brainwashed Coffee Co. I love Brainwashed Coffee Co. 
Not only do I love their coffee, it is fucking robust, delicious, tons of different uh, types and flavors and strains, whatever you call it, different kinds of coffee. But more importantly, their cause donates 50% of their profit to give back to sober recovery communities. They support addicts. They support us. So let's support them. Use the coffee code DOPEY20 at brainwashedcoffeeco.com and you get 20% off your coffee order. This coffee is delicious. Their cause is our cause. Support Brainwashed Coffee Co. at brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use Dopey20 at the checkout for 20% off. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our favorite accounting and consulting firm, Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They're a full-service accounting firm that can help you with your taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be free to focus on what you love to do. Perhaps more important than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now and knows the struggle as well as the successes of recovery. Use the promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com and receive special discounts. That is the promo code DOPEY at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. It's tax season. Give Evolution Accounting and Consulting a call. And most importantly, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation through the amazing power of the Patreon. I've been putting videos on Patreon. Basically, the Patreon is my attempt to have Dopey become my profession. If you listen to Dopey and you enjoy the show and the community, please give to the Patreon because it helps me get closer to making Dopey my full-time job, which is what I'm really, really trying to do. So you go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast and, and join. There's videos now. There's so much content on there. Please check it out. Also, there's tons of gear there's the new Nick shit. There's tons of hoodies, T-shirts, mugs. There's a million things on there uh, at dopeypodcast.com. I just got new Oyve snapbacks. You Venmo me for them if you want them. I have blue and orange dopey hats. I have blue and red dopey hats. These are rare. I'm about to get rid of them. I have stickers. Just Venmo me for any of that stuff. There is a dude out there named Sasha uh, they are potters. They are making mugs, handmade dopey mugs, and uh, they're beautiful. It says toodles, and it's really nice. So check them out on Instagram. I will put them up in the stories. Enough with the fucking ads. Here is the fucking show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. It is a total honor and a privilege to make another show for you guys. It really is. 
uh, I love making the show. Uh, what I don't love is the idea of all of us under one tent of addiction, and we have abstinent people, we have medicated-assisted treatment people, we have weed people, we have all these people, and and we expect somehow for there to be harmony within the dopey nation, and I think there can be. You know, in the beginning of the show, we said if you're using, let your freak flag fly, and that message kind of changed a little bit along the way, like me and Chris tried to take responsibility for other people's recovery, which basically was an impossibility. And then Chris, of course, relapsed and died. And then I was so scared to put any message on Dopey besides abstinence because I wanted to to protect you guys, which was an incredibly arrogant thought, like I could protect you. And, And now I think I'm getting more and more comfortable in my own skin and my own program, and it just seems like... It's a great time to do a show about actual alt-recovery, which could be abstinence, but maybe it's recovery with weed, or maybe it's medicated-assisted treatment, or maybe it's something else. So finally, here is our chance to really explore what the alt-recovery movement should be about. This might be a little disturbing to some 12-step members of our community. This might be a little scary to some people who are still using, but just buckle in and enjoy the ride. So before we get to Nzinga, let's just be clear about something. It is hard to face the world alone. It is hard to not have help. Therapy is an amazing tool in getting your mind right and your shit together because facing obstacles alone can be daunting. BetterHelp.com is an amazing service. They have over 10,000 counselors, each with at least three years and 2,000 hours of hands-on experience. They are licensed, trained, experienced, and accredited psychologists, marriage and family therapists, clinical social workers, licensed professional counselors, and others. How does it work? You get to talk to your counselor via text, via Zoom, on the phone, These people are there for you. You don't have to go to an office. They help you deal with trauma, addiction, sleeping issues, eating issues, sexuality issues. If you have a problem, I bet you they can help. If you use the code DOPEY, you save 10%. You deserve to be happy. Go to BetterHELP.com and find your happiness today. That's BetterHELP.com. Get help with better help. Now here's Nzinga. And here's somebody else that gives a lot of better help, Dr. Nzinga Harrison from Eleanor Health, an In Recovery podcast. And I'm incredibly lucky to be joined by the brilliant and vivacious and lovely Dr. Nzinga Harrison from <laughs> In Recovery podcast and the head, the grand poobah of Eleanor Health. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dave. I'm seriously going to keep that recording to be like my alarm when I wake up in the mornings. Well, it's nice to hear nice things. I think you should put that on the business card is like either the the head muckety muck or the grand poobah. (laughs) Totally. Definitely the HM, co-founder and HM at at Eleanor Health. Head muckety muck, HM. That's a whole thing. (laughs) So how are you? I'm good. How are you? I mean, like you are one of my favorite guests 
And the last time I got to see the lovely Dr. Nzinga Harrison, I was on her show in recovery and I was allergic and mucus was coming <laughs> off of my nose and it was very embarrassing. It was terrible. It was human. It was human. We've all had a runny nose in public at some point. So this morning I'm sneezing, like I'm sneezing and sneezing and sneezing. Ah. And I'm like, I got to take an allergy pill. And the allergy pill is like an hour it takes to work. Mm -hmm. So I took it like 45 minutes ago and I, and it just kicked (laughs) in. So I'm, I I was, I was, I was certain it was going to be the same, the same thing. You know, as last time, which I know you could accept. I know you see that as the beauty of my humanity. Correct. I appreciate it. It's that. all good. It's all good. But do your allergy pills make you sleepy? Like, are you going to get slow? Are you going to get slow 30 minutes from now in the middle of this podcast? No, it's weird. I find that the pill side effect makes me a little bit speedy and weirder than I normally am. It's got this weird thing. It's Zizol. And it's like, it makes me feel a little weird, you know, a little bit faster and a little bit just, I mean, it's not quite psychedelic, but it's weird. Like things get, so if I get a little bit weird 20 minutes in, it's totally the Zizol. It's not me. So you know what's interesting about that? What you're describing is called a paradoxical effect. And we um, find like some people have it with Benadryl. For most people, Benadryl and antihistamines are going to make you sleepy and put you to sleep. But then there's definitely this fraction of people like you that have this speedy paradoxical effect from it. Um, So not to get in your personal business, but have you been evaluated for ADHD or ever thought that was part of your life experience? Yes. Because people with ADHD have paradoxical effect to stimulants, which stimulants speed most people up. But for people with ADHD, it slows their brain down, quiets it down, pulls things into order. That's interesting because my mother always said I had ADHD, but I always assumed she was just saying that I was a fucking idiot. Um, She said I was learning disabled and had ADHD and I always took it personally. But um, so I never was actually evaluated, but my wife is sure she has ADHD and she's sure that I have ADHD. Um, But when I took speed, like when I used to, I mean, Coke like never really made me so much faster. It didn't slow things down either. It just kind of was like, whatever. I had a paradoxical effect from Coke and from meth. Mm -hmm. Neither really did what they were advertised to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I took Xanax, I got energy and, and heroin, like my house would be clean as a whistle. I'd get heroin and I'm like cleaning and jumping around and whatever. So pre mm-hmm. pre nodding, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would have to when I when I would do heroin, like one of the things as I got more and more um, my tolerance as my tolerance rose, I would have yep. to come up with activities to lull my brain into catching a nod. So like what I would do to catch a nod is I would play guitar mm-hmm. or I would write or, or something mm-hmm. like that where I had to be distracted. Yeah. And that's when. I would not out. Otherwise, I mean, I'm sure you hear about heroin addicts who clean their houses and stuff, right? Totally. I mean, you are the very definition of the quote paradox, right? Like Dave is a paradox. Maybe it's not the first time you've heard that in your life. Wow. I've heard, I've heard oxymoron, David, or maybe it was just moron, but. Uh, <laughs> similar, <laughs> similar, similar context. I never had the phrase right, that the paradoxical experience, and I think that's great. Yeah, paradoxical. We call it paradoxical disinhibition because uh, we expect inhibition. 
from the from the antihistamines and the opioids. But interestingly, to your comment about your mom telling you you had ADHD and a learning disability, my 15-year-old, soon to be 16 in July, was diagnosed with ADHD and dysgraphia, which is a learning disability when he was six years old. And he is hands down the most brilliant, most amazing person in this house. Like everybody that tells you who knows him, period. So anybody who's listening, ADHD plus learning disability equals amazing, not stupid or or dumb. I think that like, number one, that shows what a lovely and amazing mother you are. Number one. And my mother was a great, amazing, lovely mother too. But it's <laughs> just like, I think the phrase learning disability for like, a 13, 14 year old who went, I went to like a fan, I went to a fancy school and it was supposed to be that I should be able to keep up. And if I had a learning disability, Mm -hmm. I was like, and my mother was a teacher. So if I had a learning disability, it was like, there was something wrong with me, you know? And, and that was, and, and that created its own weird paradoxical experience Mm -hmm. around being considered smart yet not achieving knowing that I was smart, but not feeling that I was as smart as everybody else. And then like overcompensating in a lot of different ways. So I think we're dealing with a lot of paradoxical information this morning, which I appreciate. Um, Totally. And I don't put that on your mother. I put that on the system and the, the climate, right? Like we're even still putting so many kids through Parents are afraid to ask for help even when they see their kids struggling because they don't want a label that something is wrong. And like this has been one of my life missions for parents is like as soon as you get that ping, like, is my child struggling? Like if you please, let's, let me not even talk about people not having access, but if you have access to get a full psychological evaluation to get your child in front of a therapist, like the earlier you do that, the better you're setting your child up to excel emotionally, self-esteem-wise, academically. It's like you would rather know there's, quote, something wrong so that you can figure out what to do about it than just be hoping nothing's wrong while your child is struggling because the struggle only gets harder. Right. And turns into more struggles. Right, right, right. That's interesting, and I appreciate that. And there's a lot of parents in the Dopey Nation who... And they love you. The Dopey Nation loves you. So, like, this is good, positive information. I love the Dopey Nation. Well, that's beautiful. All right. What did you actually want to talk about today? Because I have us down, like, ten rabbit holes. Well, it's funny because all I wrote down on my piece of paper was paradoxical reactions and relationships. No. um, (laughs) I wanted to talk about a different paradox, though. It it is a paradox. um, And it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time. You know, um, which is, quote, unquote, and I shouldn't even say, quote, unquote, we'll just say cannabis recovery, you know, like recovery, like Mm -hmm. people who are in recovery and smoke weed. And you I mean, the paradox is this. There are people who are heroin addicts or cocaine addicts or meth addicts or alcoholics, and they identify as being in recovery yet they smoke weed Mm -hmm. uh, for the medicinal benefits of the THC. And the flip side is the stoner who struggles giving up the weed and the paradox there. Mm -hmm. That is what I'm... I'm so interested in that because I was such a stoner, 
you know, and now I, I, you know, I'm in 12 step recovery, whatever I'm abstinent, but I I have friends who are hardcore addicts and they identify as recovering Mm -hmm. and they smoke weed. And then I have friends who are total stoners trying to figure out like, is weed addiction a real thing? And you're, you're the head muckety muck of a real place. So I wanted to see the clinical kind of take on it. (laughs) Totally. So from the head muckety muck of a real place named Eleanor Health, the answer is yes, weed addiction is a real thing. So um, I want to think about recovery a little bit differently than the 12-step community thinks about it. The 12-step community thinks about it as complete and total, utter abstinence from everything. And so I want to put just a little nuance in that while keeping my respect to the 12-step community and see if we can think about recovery from each individual substance or behavior. So a person can be in recovery from heroin and not be in recovery from marijuana or not be in recovery from porn. That doesn't take away the success of the recovery from the heroin. It is There is more work to be done, for sure, but I want us to be able to kind of like get these stages. The reason is... Um, Let's talk about the definition of addiction from a medical standpoint, which is basically continued use, if we're talking about a substance, so weed here, continued use of weed despite negative consequences. And you can get that cannabis use disorder diagnosis mild, moderate, severe. So a lot of people who think they're just, quote, recreationally using marijuana actually meet the definition for a mild cannabis use disorder. The people that you describe as stoners, like you're like, I used to be a stoner, those are the folks that have like a severe cannabis use disorder, but there's an entire range. So yes, there's a way to use weed recreationally. And then there's a way to use it that is a mild disorder, a moderate disorder, a severe disorder, When you look at the addictability, I made that word up, okay? So that's copyright head muckety-muck. You look at the addictability of different substances, (laughs) then marijuana has lower addictability than, for example, heroin. So if I take, I'm making these numbers up, all right? So don't go search the internet. I'm making these numbers up. If I give 100 people with the same genetic risk, Because remember, all of us carry our genetic risk for addiction in our DNA. So if I take 100 people all with the same genetic risk for addiction, and I give 100 of them marijuana every day, same dose, let's say three of them are going to get addicted. I'm making these numbers up. I take that same group of people, same genetic risk, and I give 100 of them heroin every day for the same time period, 80 of those people are going to get addicted. I'm making these numbers up just to give the example, right? So people tend to think, and so marijuana addiction is not real because only three people got addicted compared to 80. But trust me, over my 20 years of taking care of people with addiction, I've seen people lose their spouses. I've seen people lose their kids. I've seen people go to jail. That, of course, has a whole bunch of social inequity wrapped around it. But nonetheless, if you know you're at risk for going to jail and you can't stop smoking marijuana, 
like that's telling me something, right? I've seen all kinds of very, I've seen people with lung disease get worse. I've seen people have paranoia and they can't stop smoking even though they know it's causing the paranoia. All of those are people who, yes, have addiction to weed. Right. My, I mean, I was very, very serious on the spectrum of marijuana dependency or whatever the phrase is. And, uh, and for me, giving up weed was something I really didn't want to do. You know, it was, it was the thing that I, it was the last piece Mm. of my addiction and it was, it was my identity. It was in, in a lot of ways, my medicine and it was, um, the way I felt okay in the world. You know what I'm saying? And, and, mm-hmm. and so like, and, and also just when we speak about it from a 12 step point of view versus a harm reductionist point of view versus whatever, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like my friends who are quote unquote in marijuana, I don't know, maintenance or whatever they want to call it. Cannabis recovery is the phrase that I'm hearing uh-huh. around. It's like they're using the marijuana for depression for right. insomnia, uh, because because abstinence isn't mm-hmm. working for them, and and you being around a lot of addicts, like, do you ever suggest that? Do you ever see that? Like, what does it look like from your side of the desk? Yeah, so um, I want to respond to something else you said, and then jump into that. This is another way I tell people, like, you want to think about if you have an addiction to this substance when it plays such an important role in your life, right? So, like, when you say it was my identity, that is too important a role in your life for a substance to be playing. And so, like, I'm thinking addiction, right? When you're like, my, I can hear the way a person is romancing a substance and talking about it like they love it, and I'm like, this is a love affair? Like, this is one thing about addiction. So just for people who are listening... If you're having like this substance, marijuana, weed, whatever, you're smoking, you're hitting the bong, you're eating edibles, whatever. If it is playing a central role in your life, I want you to like Google cannabis use disorder and stack yourself against the diagnostic criteria just to get an objective like maybe is that what's going on. To your point, yes, nobody continues to do anything that's not bringing some benefit. And I see depression, anxiety, and sleeplessness as the three main things that drive people to marijuana or make it hard for people who want to stop marijuana, however they're using it from using it. We have this thing as humans that's like um, things that grow in nature are safer than things made in the lab. So I would rather smoke marijuana to help me go to sleep than take a sleeping pill. And a lot of times that's true. Like I would rather use marijuana for my pain than take an opioid and then develop an opioid use disorder. So I totally get it. To your question, do I make this as a recommendation? When I'm practicing harm reduction, which you know is my bag, right? Like, okay, you're not going to stop using. How do we keep you alive? How do we minimize the harm? If I have a person who comes to me with a marijuana use disorder, cannabis use disorder, however they're using it, my harm reduction spectrum goes like this. Smoking whole plant that you get from a dealer on the street is the riskiest. One, you don't know what's in it. And these days, marijuana leaf, whole leaf is being laced with fentanyl on the street. So like people are accidentally dying of opioid overdoses because they think they're smoking weed and they're smoking fentanyl. So one... 
I don't care how long you've been with that dealer. Right, which is crazy. That dealer doesn't know what that dealer has, let alone do you know what that dealer has. So that's the riskiest. Two, anything you're burning and inhaling into your lungs is risky. Like your lungs don't like it. Okay, so chronic lung disease, worsening asthma, and anything you're burning and putting in your body risk for cancer. So whole leaf smoked, people think that's the safest way because it came straight out of nature unless you grew it yourself and picked it yourself. Whole leaf smoked from a dealer, that's the riskiest. Next, purely from a biological perspective, I don't know what your state laws are. You grew it yourself that's less risky than getting it from a dealer. But if you're still smoking it and inhaling it from a lung perspective and a cancer perspective, that's still risky. You're in a state where you can get it from a dispensary. Okay, great. You know exactly what's in it. It's regulated. I don't have to worry about you getting fentanyl or embalming fluid or any of the other crap that they're putting in there. But if you're smoking it and inhaling it from a lung and cancer perspective, still risky. So then we move to vaping. Right? You know what it is because you bought it from a regulated place, um, unless you're getting your vaping from a dealer and then same safety considerations apply. But you get it from a regulated place, it's not burning. So your lungs still hate anything that you're inhaling, but it's not burning, so that's better. So I'll take vaping over smoking a whole plant from a dealer. Next from that, edibles. I will take edibles even before I take vaping because you're not inhaling it into your lungs, you're not, so I don't worry about lung disease. You're not burning it, so I'm not worried about cancer. I don't know where you're getting it from, so what's in it, you know, we still have to make that consideration. But also, when you eat something, your liver clears a lot of it out. It takes a long time to get in your system. If you ever eat an edible, you know, it's like 30 minutes later, the effect comes on slowly that reduces the addictability. So if you can put it straight in your vein or inhale it, addictability is higher because the high comes on faster. So that's a kinder, slower, gentler. And then, of course, um, I would like to take the THC out of it completely. So really, overwhelmingly, the majority of therapeutic effects in marijuana are driven by CBD, so I try, I recommend CBD like all day, every day. I try to like, mm. let's dose some CBD. Let's see what we could do. And then of course, nothing, nothing is great. But so that's like the risk spectrum if you're trying to move yourself along it. So I have, I have two things. That was a long answer. It's a long answer. And it was interesting. First of all, do you want to hear, I mean, I don't like to curse in front of you because I know you don't, you don't like the. Oh, uh, you can uh, curse. I'm okay. You I want to hear break. a fucked up story. <laughs> Yeah. My my ex sponsor, right? His kid, she's like fifteen or something, right? And she wanted to try weed. So she uh mm-hmm. you know, like whatever, she's in Brooklyn and somehow it was easier to get edibles than it was to get bud. Mm-hmm. And she gets some edibles with I think it's her friend's parents' edibles or something, and it's gummy bears, mm-hmm. right? So she eats a mm-hmm. THC gummy or whatever and she's with her friend and she's like I don't feel anything because of what you said it takes 30 minutes for it to kick in and she's like let's take some oh, more no, she took like 60 more. fucking oh. grams she no. took like 60 grams she had no. to 
She had to go to the fucking ER. Emergency and, room. Yeah. She had to oh go to the ER God. and she's been traum she was traumatized because uh she ate too much THC and now she's like all, you know, traumatic fucking reaction. Oh my God. Yeah. Which could be a great lesson, you know what I mean, moving forward for her, like to not fuck with it. But the other thing that I'm interested in, and I think I'm getting the answer just in, in terms of everything you're talking about, which is like when you have the the heroin addict, right, who's taking we like they find and I think I'm gonna have a woman on this show with you after we're done mm-hmm. who is this kind of a person who's a heroin you know, recovering heroin addict, recovering meth addict, and she um, was suffering depression and insomnia forever and ever and ever. And she's like, fuck it. I can smoke weed and not go down the, the, the path. You know what I mean? Not go down the mm-hmm. other path. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. are they still quite possibly suffering cannabis use disorder or whatever? Probably, right? It's like, I, I know that when, when Chris, you know, my, my partner who died and I would talk about this stuff, I'm abstinent because, number one, if I smoke weed, yeah, it might it definitely is going to make me less. I'm not depressed. I don't suffer depression. I don't suffer insomnia. You know what I mean? I smoke weed. Mm-hmm. I would smoke weed to get high. I, I, I'm the kind of person that would say mm-hmm. I smoked weed for the taste because I even love how weed tastes. But I would smoke <laughs> weed to get high. That I would smoke so weed. Gross. No, I really love how weed tastes. I, I would smoke weed. You to like get the high. taste smoke- of weed? I mean, I feel the same about coffee, so, but go ahead. I like the taste of coffee, too. But a nice bud, a nice purple bud. A anyway, nice, stop a romancing. Nice very dank stop romancing nugget. the purple oh, I'm bud. Sorry, I'm rom- <laughs> um, I, I totally lost my train of thought. No, I would See? smoke weed just to See? medicate the fact that... I- that Pink Floyd, that Pink Floyd doesn't sound as good without it, and I need I need a weed right. perspe- a prescription so that my Pink Floyd listening can be better. Um, no, right. seriously, right. it's like I don't do it because getting to sobriety for me, to recovery for me, took me forever. It took me twelve, thirteen mm-hmm. years. I lost my family. Mm-hmm. I got my family back. The idea of you know, taking a detour on my path to see if I could smoke weed safely just seems like not a risk reward kind of thing in my life. But it's like, totally. How often, how often do you see addicts who are using marijuana in a harm reduction kind of environment? And then like what I would always say to Chris, and this was my little science fiction analogy is like, imagine a force field, right? But the force field only lets in THC like that's a very sophisticated Mm -hmm. force field and once your force field comes Mm -hmm. down for the THC why isn't the benzo flying in or the opiate like or the alcohol or whatever you know so how often do you see that where it's like this you know they they let down their defense or they let this thing in and then it's like do you see that yeah absolutely 100% so the biological phenomenon, sorry, that was a whole bunch of syllables that you're talking about, is um, this idea of what we call like cross tolerance. So because you only have one brain and you only have one dopamine pathway, when you tap that dopamine pathway, that like triggers neurobiological memory to those other substances, right? And so for a person who is in recovery, for a person who has never, ever, 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 ever used anything except marijuana, 
there's probably there there is less risk that smoking marijuana is going to bring down that force field and everything else is going to rush in. But for a person who's had an addiction to a benzo, to alcohol, to opioid, to heroin, to amphetamine, to ecstasy, when you let that force field down and cannabis taps that dopamine pathway, that dopamine pathway is now lit. And it's like, oh, you know what works this pathway the best? Exactly. Even better than marijuana. And that's how the force field comes down, right? And so you're exactly right about that as a risk. So from a harm reduction strategy, it's exactly what you said is that risk-benefit analysis. Is what you have gained worth the risk, worth risking for marijuana? And for people who answer yes to that question, then I'm worried about a marijuana use disorder. Because why should marijuana be worth that risk? Typically because there's some underlying addiction to it. Now, it's the only way you can't sleep. What if I could give you another way to sleep? It's the only way you won't be depressed and thinking about suicide. What's another way we can handle that? It's the only way you can't have a panic attack. What's another way? When people are unable to consider another way, that also tells me that I'm probably dealing with a cannabis use disorder or a marijuana addiction. Right. Because why take that risk? Why take that risk, right? I hear so many people also talking about, like, like when an old-timer in 12-step dies, like, oh, he died sober, and, you know, how amazing that is. And I'm like, that doesn't sound... It's like I would like to be able to, to make my journey to wherever I want to take it when I get older. And it's easy for me to say at age 46... That like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, we'll see what it is when we get there, which is the beauty of one day at a time. So like, but I, I, but I enjoy the romance, you know what I mean? I enjoy that aspect, but it's probably dangerous, right? It's probably, yeah. probably doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Nobody, nobody probably gets anything from me romancing, icing a bong and taking bong hits and listening to Dark Side of the Moon, right? That's not good for anybody but me, right? <laughs> probably. I mean... Well, but I mean, part of part of being human is fantasizing. And so it's kind of being able to know. So there's something there's something about for you, the idea of old age that you think is going to be not enjoyable or not tolerable if you don't have that bong to, like you said, to make. No, 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 no. That's that. No, no, no. It's more like. I mean, my life is hard enough at 46. You know what I'm saying? When I'm old and grizzled, I want to enjoy the medicinal benefits of the THC. Like, I just want to kick back. You know what I mean? Like, I've put in the work now. I want, listen, this is probably, this is probably a serious therapeutic conversation that we should have once you, I hire you as my, as my therapist to, to, to deal with this thing. <laughs> because, like, it's a, it's a bigger question. You know, it's a bigger question. But here's, here's what I was going to say, Dave. Here's a, it, it is a bigger question. It is a bigger question. But here's what I was going to say. Fantasizing is part of, like, normal human experience. So you're fantasizing over icing a bong. I'm fantasizing over the ocean on the beach and palm trees. You know what I mean? It's, it, that is part of the normal human experience. I think it is when fantasizing starts to change and starts to develop that strength of a compulsion of compelling you. And you feel like, even though I've made this risk benefit calculation that says 
this risk isn't worth it, I still feel compelled to do it, then that's when, that's when the danger comes in, in right. my opinion. Because you might get 85 and then there is no risk in hitting the bong. It, it might be a different risk calculation by the time you're 85. If I make it to 85. And number two, though, like... You'll make it. We'll see. We'll see. But, like, the other thing is, like, maybe at 85, I'm not going to have any interest. Maybe I'll be like, when I'm finally 103, I'm going to ice the bong and listen to the Almond Brothers. Whatever. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that you can put off for as long as you can put it off. Now, I want to talk about something else before, yep. before I lose your vivaciousness on Zoom. And um, I think I told you about this cockamamie plan that we came up with called the alt-recovery movement. Did I tell you about the alt-recovery movement? Oh, no. Tell me about this. Okay. Well, about a, I mean, it might have been two years ago that, like, basically in the old days, I used to make fun of people in medical-assisted treatment, and Chris would say that that's probably their path to recovery. And then Chris died, and I realized, like, I couldn't make fun of people on methadone and Suboxone if nobody was going to stick up for them. Mm-hmm. So I decided that I was going to stick mm-hmm. up for people on methadone and Suboxone also. And it kind of became this okay. thing, whatever your pathway to a good life, we support. Whatever it is, if it's Kung Fu, if it's basketball, if it's fishing, if it's Suboxone and a little cannabis use disorder, like whatever you have, your whatever makes you happy and you're not in pain and dying, that's the alt recovery movement. And you're not dying. Exactly. Yeah, you're not dead. Agree. There was a woman, there was a great, a great dopey listener. Her name is Jamie. She lives in New Hampshire. She's a heroin addict on Suboxone and weed, I think. And she wrote me an email saying how, like, um, she was saying how she loved Dopey and how Dopey was on the, in the vanguard of the alt-recovery movement. And I was like, holy shit, that sounds good. Vanguard and alt-recovery movement together. <laughs> I was like, that sounds good. Um, so I, you know, first I, I start calling people like, how, how do I get rich off this alt recovery movement? And it turns out I can't even get rich <laughs> off the alt recovery movement, but, um, it's like, it, it's so beautiful because it's so inclusive and it's so positive. And we do, you know, every day, yes. every day, the dopey nation does two or three zooms among themselves to kind of practice this alt recovery oh, wow. harm reduction it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable, and they do it on their own. I have nothing to do with it. It's, I love it. I it's love total, it. total grassroots uh, alt-recovery uh, shit. You know what I mean? They're just doing it. And I wanted to ask I love you, it. From, from a clinical perspective, like how do you start? How do you like? Because the alt recovery movement is very vague. You know, AA can fit in the alt recovery movement. Yeah, uh, Suboxone can fit in the alt recovery yeah. movement. You know, pl- you know, gardening, whatever. Can it be a movement if it's so vague? Uh, so yes, it absolutely can be a movement, even though it's so vague. And by the way, I love it. Like, can I be? Can I be the like? What do you call it? Alt recovery doctor or whatever like poster doctor head marketing, I be like, head marketing. dude can i call it i want to be i want to be the head muckety muck of the alt recovery movement i want to be the head muckety muck too but i think the beauty of the alt recovery movement is there is no head muckety muck but you could be the distinguished doctors in emeritus or whatever that word yeah. is what's that word in em- what is that how do you say that properly? 
emeritus, emeritus, emeritus. I would love that because um, it's not vague. This is my point. It's not vague. And what's not vague about it is is that it says there are an infinite number of paths to recovery. And we will support you whatever your path is. That's not vague at all. That's beautiful. Look at this. incredible. Look, we're on to something here, doctor. Are you excited? You look excited. Are you excited? I'm telling you. You see my eyeballs? <laughs> well, let's get to work. You know no, what I'm saying? It's, it's incredible. And it's so, it's so important. So, uh, you know what, Dave? Damn it. I can Oh, see? But that was lightweight cussing. I know you probably don't even count that as cussing. But I no. can't um, believe I forgot to tell you. Okay, so I'm sorry that I forgot to tell you, but I'm going to tell you now. Last week, we had a fundraiser for Eleanor Health Foundation, which helps remove cost as a barrier to treatment. And the fundraiser was a um, screening of this film called Uprooting Addiction. Okay. Healing from the ground up. And it's about the effect that childhood trauma has on your risk for developing addiction and driving addiction. And it's this picture of a tree, and it has all of these roots. And the idea is basically like there are infinite number of ways people get to addiction, and there are infinite number of ways people heal out of addiction. I'm going to send you the link so you can watch this movie. It's called Uprooting Addiction. It's incredible. But it, it feels like the alt-recovery movement is very much connected to that, which is just like, Let's just figure out what happened to you. Let's figure out where we are. Let's figure out what a path is to you. So there was a a person there that was like using gardening. There was a person that was like, I don't even know what the ritual was. Another one was meditation. Another one was like, there were these metal containers full of liquid. And it was like, you gong it. And then it was like, boom. I I don't know what it was, but it was just like a beautiful film period but this idea was in it which is like your path may not be my path but your path is your path so I'm gonna support you on that path because I don't want you dead and hurting so what do I need to do and the best thing like I, I think that it's really worked with our community because it's basically whoever has been too afraid to go to 12 step or maybe they go to 12 step and they're they're mm-hmm. they're off they don't like the the god in 12 step or they don't like they don't want to do 12 steps or they don't want to be told what to do or they they have a feeling in them that makes Mm -hmm. them feel like they don't belong but they come to this dopey nation zoom and they they experience like a bunch of weirdos you know being like oh cool you want to hang out like it's a beautiful thing it's like it's a much it's like it's hard though it's it's hard like to have a center of gravity, like a nucleus to draw the gravity in on something like the mm-hmm. alt-recovery movement because it will require, you know, something... A li- I think what you said, and what you said is something that, that we said, there are an infinite number of ways to get addicted and there are an infinite number of ways to get out. And, and we... It's like, yeah. you know, the light in me recognizes the light in you, whatever that that path is. You know what I'm saying? Namaste. Hey, all right, just don't get crazy. Mm-hmm. Don't don't get crazy yeah. on your we- on your wellness <laughs> regime. We don't want to go nuts with this doctor. Come on. But 
I appreciate you liking this. You know, it's fun. It's always just such a joy. Be- I love it. I more than like it. So you're in. Welcome aboard the Alt Recovery Express. I'm in. A- All right, cool. Where's um, my T-shirt? At- you want an Alt Recovery uh, Movement T-shirt or you want a Clearly. Dopey T-shirt? I got... All right, I we'll want one of one. each. Dopey. I want one of each. I got you. Give me your address. It's in the mail. D- hold on. Dopey Nation. Designers in the Dopey Nation. We need an alt recovery movement t shirt. So let's, let's get to work. You know what? I'm like such a nerd, but when you say alt recovery, it makes me think of control alt delete. So I was like, ooh, a keyboard with the alt button and recovery. And it's like alt recovery. I'm a nerd, not a graphic designer. I'm, I'm going to say no to that. Graphic designers <laughs> in the Dopey Nation, please do not listen to Dr. Harrison's nerdy t shirt suggestion. Let's, let's strike that. You from know. The record. You know, it is not. I don't. <laughs> Dang, yeah, it gets struck. That's okay. I'll survive. I have a friend. I have a friend, right? When I, when I started to think about this alt recovery business, I have this friend who lives in Northern California, and she was from New York. And she said, I don't like alt recovery movement because it made her think of the alt right. Okay? Like that, oh, right? Yeah, like mm-hmm. that. That like she's like, I guess it gives me this Nazi feeling. And then she said, you should call it disrupt recovery because disrupting is now cooler than alt. Um, but I say fuck that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't want to disrupt recovery. I want people to be in recovery and find their path. Like what do you think? You're yeah. you're a hip lady. You're, besides your yeah. t-shirt thought, what do you think about that whole thing? <laughs> besides, besides losing my hip card. Uh, with the t-shirt thought. I actually, so when you said alt recovery, I thought to myself, alt right. And then I loved it because alt recovery is going to be all about inclusion and compassion. And it felt like to me, like grabbing that back and owning it. That's what I'm saying. So I actually liked it for that reason, but it definitely made me think about it. That was the first thing that came to mind. And I was like, Ooh, I like it because this is inclusion and compassion. Which is the opposite of the current concept of right. We get alt. to put it on its head. You know, it's like we can rec- we can reclaim alt for like alternative totally. music or alternative hip hop or alternative lifestyle where the where the right took it away from us totally. for a minute. You know what I'm saying? We could take it back. Well, exactly. Well, and also alt has been like the idea of alternative has been marginalized. And discriminated against in the past also. Like alternative was bad because it wasn't mainstream. And this is like claiming it. It's like, yeah, no, like alt is where it's at. I like it. God bless you, Dr. Harrison. And as always, you were a delight to have on the old Dopey Show. As always. (laughs) As always, it was delightful being here. So we're going to have another one, you said? Another what? Episode. At some point, me and you. I thought you said you were going to bring another lady on. Oh no, she's gonna. I think another lady's going to be on this one. I think she's going to be. She's going to be my my heroin addict who's who's like oh. using cannabis as medicine and her experience. I think that. I think that's how I'm going to break oh, this one cool. up. But um, nice. I I still believe okay. that you and I should have a show. That should just be you and I and maybe guests and stuff. I think it would set the world on fire. I, I totally believe that. I mean, our, what do you call it? What do you call it? Our chemistry. Chemistry. <laughs> the easiest word. Why I couldn't come up with that one. We'll never know. Chemistry is undeniable. 
undeniable. But I can't say emeritus or what's that word? Emetus? Emer, emerit? What is it? <laughs> Emeritus. Emeritus. That's a Emeritus. Mu- but that's a, that's a much harder word than chemistry. <laughs> and I want to say this also, that the Zoom connection has been a little bit fucked up and our chemistry has carried through yeah, the fucked up me. Zoom connection. That's big time. Chemistry supersedes. Our chemistry supersedes all barriers, Dave. Doctor, I can only say namaste and thank you. Thank you for coming through. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Good to see you. Love the dope nation. Love y'all back. See you soon. So I cannot say how much I love having Dr. Harrison on our show. Uh, I love the way she talks about stuff. I love the way she thinks. I love being able to have conversations about addiction and recovery. But on the other hand, I'm sure if I was in her treatment center and she was my doctor, I wouldn't love her as much because I was always very defiant in treatment. But in recovery, it's a privilege and an honor to talk to her. And she has a, a very, very interesting and educated view on this stuff. But there is no one size fits all to this thing we call addiction or recovery. And I wanted to get another opinion. And luckily I had another friend who's a dopey legend, the great Jessica Kent of YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and uh, podcast fame. And here she is to tell her side of the street. So on the phone, I have the incredibly lovely and talented TikTok superstar, YouTube star, podcaster. What else do you do? I mean, I do fucking everything, man. (laughs) She does everything. She was on Dopey. Her name is Jessica Kent. Welcome back. Thank you so much for having me back. Dude, you want to come back? You come back. No problem. It's it's an open pass. It's a gratis pass. Um, Jessica has made a lot of waves in the sober and not so sober community by revealing some information. Do you want to reveal the information or should I? I mean, you do intros so well. I think you should tell everyone. Jessica recently, who is a heroin addict and a meth addict and a heroin dealer and a meth dealer and a magazine dealer. And, uh, you know, if you, I'm just going to recap really quick. Jess was a amazing dopey guest she gave birth to her first daughter in prison and fought like tooth and nail to get her back and got sober and was doing it and then recently she came out of the closet as using marijuana as a part of her recovery see you said that so much better than i could i doubt that come on (laughs) give me a break so what 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 was the deal? When did it happen? Tell us the story. Yeah, so um, I am not only a recovering heroin, meth, and pill addict, I'm also someone that has PTSD, insomnia, and depression. And for years and years, I was abstinent, and then it got increasingly more difficult. You know, I did everything that I was supposed to do. I got my daughter out of DHS custody. I did, you know, therapy. I built a very successful life. I'm a homeowner, have a bachelor's degree in correctional program support services, built this amazing online brand. And I built bonds and connections. More importantly than all that other stuff is that I built bonds and connections in my life. You know, I have an amazing support team and people that I trust. Um, you're, but en- you're was- engaged to a big bodybuilder guy. You've got two kids. 
Yes, engaged to a bodybuilder. We were blessed with a second child. I have a very beautiful life. Um, I was just struggling with my mental health on such a severe level that I started contemplating suicide. Um, or I at least kept popping into my mind. You know, I wasn't contemplating it, but the thoughts were there because my insomnia is so severe that I would go days at a time without actually being able to sleep. Um, I'm sure that I would doze off throughout the night, but I wasn't getting good rest. And that was making me crazy. I was very miserable because I wasn't sleeping. And then my depression kicked in. And then there was this immense guilt surrounding um, my mental health and my sobriety. I should be so happy. I should be so grateful. I have all of this amazing stuff, this beautiful life. Um, but I'm not. And then, you know, the guilt and the mom shame and all of that was just so heavy that I didn't know what to do. How long before you, you, you get there, how long were you abstinent from everything that this really started rearing its head? Was it, was it the whole time? Did things change while you were in your, your first run of being abstinent? So I was abstinent for a little, like eight years or so. Which is a big number. That's a lot. That's a lot of years. And how was um, it? Like, was how, when did this PTSD, insomnia, depression, uh, suicidal thoughts, like when did, was that from the get or did that change or what? So I had PTSD after having my daughter in prison. Right. I've had this my whole, you know, my whole sobriety. I've dealt with these problems, but I've had major depression my entire life as well as anxiety. I have high functioning anxiety and insomnia was something that happened after I got sober. So PTSD happened in prison and then insomnia happened as soon as, you know, I started, um, I want to say that differently. Um, and then insomnia started happening after I was sober. So it kind of just got worse. It got increasingly more difficult. But I would say the first five years of my recovery wasn't as oh, it's so hard to explain. Shit. Why? No, it's not. I mean, this uh, you're, it's making sense. What, what's the problem? Okay. <laughs> you're getting the first interview on my cannabis journey. Well, it's good. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a softball thrower, so just <laughs> everything will be responded to well. Don't worry. Okay. So the first five years was genuinely spent like white knuckling it two and a half years of that was spent in prison first year out of prison was spent getting my daughter back and then getting a better job and then working towards my bachelor's degree and i literally my sober day would come and go and i wouldn't even notice you know it wasn't actively on my mind because i'm just trying to eat and be a mother and learn how to be a mother learn who i am as a person in recovery and it was never like the highlight of my mind um but the undertones were always there. We had our second daughter and I had postpartum depression and needed help throughout that and navigating that. And I have always been very good at understanding there's a problem, reaching out for help in my support circle and, and telling people when I need rest or when I need this or that or self-care. Um, but it came to a point where it wasn't self-care that I needed it wasn't a bubble bath and taking a nap. It wasn't going to sleep or it wasn't getting out of my house. It was so severe that I realized you need to get professional help. This is not something that you can do or navigate on your own anymore. And that was really hard because I've done sobriety by myself. I've done everything on my own, you know, my whole life. I 
I was court ordered to do recovery programs from 16 to 28. And I never felt, um, you know, I never felt as though I belonged there. So I, I quite literally navigated sobriety, parole, living as a felon, all the obstacles that come your way when you're a felon, trying to integrate it back into society. I literally did all of that by myself, fought DHS by myself. So it was difficult to realize like, oh shit, you, you need a therapist, girl. You need a doctor. You right, need help. Right. Um, so I like, didn't want to go. In, oh, go in, ahead. in that, in that painful time, like, how did it like manifest with your family? Like, how did Reese deal with it? Did your daughters notice? Like, was it obvious? Were you really str- and you, like had the had the Jessica Kent movement begun at that point? Like, were you like under the scrutiny of your own doing with YouTube and Instagram and this and that? Like, was it all motioning through and it's like all this stuff kind of crept up on you? That is such a good question. So I'll start with Reese. He is the most supportive human being on earth and whatever I needed, whether that was therapy, a therapist, group therapy, um, meetings, medication, whatever it was, um, he's completely on board with any path I choose as long as I'm okay. Um, As far as my daughters, they know that I get sad. I don't use words like depression. I use words like sad. Uh, Mommy's really sad today, so we're going to make cupcakes. That way, their memory is cupcakes. It's not me just being really, really sad that it's, day. Yeah, it's not depression. Um, it's cupcakes. I think that's a good strategy. <laughs> right. Yes. But we do have open talks about mental health um, in age-appropriate ways, as well as substance use disorder. Um, I tell them I took things that made me very sick, and I went to jail. My uh, almost nine-year-old knows that she was born in jail, like call it jail, prison. And, um, you know, I, I'm really honest with them, so they kind of understand because I mean, they're little. They understand as much as you can. Reese is very supportive. But I did build a brand on uh, stay safe, stay sober, whatever that looks like to you. You know, there's a million different ways to recover. And I did tell everyone that I was abstinent because I was for so long. So now I was realizing, like, I have to tell them somehow, but I'm not comfortable yet. I'm not ready. So that was hard. And I did feel a lot of pressure from the outside world to do it the way they think I should. Sure. You know, and a lot of people put um, that pressure on me and that, uh, what's it called? I want to say pressure. Pressure is a fine word. That I mean, it's like, it's almost like, I mean, it's like peer pressure. It's an expectation. You come out as somebody who's been through hell and is in recovery and you're a drug addict in recovery. And so there's an expectation that you're abstinent. What I want to know is like, did you try antidepressants? Like, how did you get to like, fuck it? And I don't mean fuck it in the bad way, but I know that marijuana is going to give me what I need. Like, how did you get there? So that was kind of a journey. I knew that I did not want to take pills because that is a trigger. Um, last year I had breast augmentation surgery and they wanted to prescribe me pain medication. And I said, hell no, give me ibuprofen. Are you insane? Right. Um, I knew that I couldn't take opiates. I knew that I couldn't take sleeping pills because I could become dependent on those. Right. And doing this research, I just felt so lost. You know, I felt so lost because I felt like there wasn't an avenue that I could safely go down. And, um, Eventually, I decided to do the research on cannabis and recovery and medical marijuana and how that would look to my recovery. And I started to really genuinely reflect on my past. I never had a problem with cannabis 
it was never something that I used compulsively. And I, you know, I never, um, I never had a problem with it. So I decided to go to therapy. I decided to go to a doctor and I was just so honest and so upfront about everything that I can't take antidepressants or I'm very afraid to take them. I'm very afraid to take pills of any kind. And I've tried, I do want to say in this that I tried everything. I've tried breathing techniques. I've tried meditation. I've tried working out before bed. I've tried hot tea, essential oils, melatonin. I've tried almost everything you could possibly think of. There's some kind of root that some hippie told me about. I've tried it all. I've tried literally everything. So when I got to this point, please know that like every single avenue that I knew of or was online or anywhere written, I found that and I tried that. So it took a long time for me to say like maybe cannabis is the way. So I met with a doctor here in Illinois where we are recreational. We have stores every three miles. And I said to him, this might be the journey for me. I need, you know, I need your input on what that would look like for me. What are my options? You know, and eventually um, I was able to get a medical marijuana card and my life changed almost instantly. I slept through the night, my first night smoking a joint. And I woke up the next morning and I didn't make me cry thinking about it, but I cried because I wasn't exhausted and I felt so happy. And it was just, it was life-changing for somebody who couldn't sleep and was so, you know, afraid to do anything in recovery. So um, that was the moment that I knew that this is the path that I need to be on and this can be life-changing for me. And it, it genuinely was. Right. There's so many, I have so many questions. The first question is like, how scary is it to talk about right now? It's a little scary. Why? Uh, like explain there, that. Yeah. Um, so I came out online, I came out on YouTube and then eventually TikTok and you know, the the shame and the judgment that I've received from people in the recovery community is so deeply saddening to me. Um, it's visceral. It's, it's visceral. They, they like go after you. Um, right. But it, and it's like, it, it's so loaded. It's such a loaded thing. And like, I have to say, you know, I don't think I could have had this conversation with you last summer. Like, I think I wouldn't have been able to handle it myself. Like, I think it's so loaded when you are in recovery and you are abstinent and you want everybody to do it the exact same way you do it. And if somebody has a, a medicated assisted plan or a weed plan or microdosing or ayahuasca, I think as somebody who's in full on abstinence, I get, I think I get a bunch of things at once. I get scared. Um, like, should I be doing that? Why aren't I doing that? What's going to happen to me? Like, I get jealous. Holy shit, why does she get to get high? Uh, and I don't. And I and I get scared that, like, like, I'm scared right now that it's, like, putting out the wrong message. But I had this kind of epiphany driving over here, which was I'm comfortable in my sobriety and I'm comfortable in your happiness. You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? And I think... Like, that's the most important thing. It's like, this is working for you. You know what I mean? And everybody out there, this doesn't necessarily have to be the path that you take. But if you have some of the same symptoms that Jessica has, you know, it, it, it might not be the worst thing to do. But it's scary, right? It's scary. It's also scary because 
Um, you know, I had one of my best friends, like, I mean, I, he got sober, but he didn't really get sober. He got abstinent and he was dying to get stoned, but he wasn't dying to use weed medicinally and he died of a heroin overdose a few months later it's not the same story but that's the story we internalize somehow you know so um thank you for all of that i do want to kind of add in here that a lot of my subscribers have been so kind to me and so supportive to me and they're cheering me on and it made other people feel like okay i'm not wrong in this even though i'm being judged for it so their kindness and support and encouragement has helped me be more brave to talk about it online. And even though I am getting met with criticism in the recovery community, the ride or die crew is there for me. And they're so just, they're so awesome. I mean, all of the, D- the DMs that I've gotten that are like, Jess, I, you know, I, I'm scared to go to meetings or I'm scared to talk about this in my home group, or this is what I do. I've been doing it for years and years and it works for me. Thank you so much. Like you have made my recovery path seem valid, which it should be. It should always be. And that makes me so happy and so proud. So I will walk through fire in sandals to defend any path to recovery, especially when it comes to my people, you know, um, my subscribers and my followers on all these platforms, they mean everything to me and I bring them with me in everything that I do. And if I'm helping them feel um, vindicated and valid, then it's worth any hate that I could ever get. Right. But it's such a, it's such a, you know, it's such a waste to hate on anybody's path, even if their fucking their path is shooting, you know, heroin and dropping fucking LSD into their eyeballs and and going crazy because that's not my path. That's their path. This is your path. And it's like, I think, you know, I have a lot of questions. You know, I want to hear about the first <laughs> joint you smoked. Like, what did you buy? What, what was the strain? The first the first strain of, of medicinal marijuana. Oh my gosh. I'm not exactly sure the first strain. Um, oh my gosh. So I get, I get pre-rolls and a lot of them don't even say on the container what strain it is. Oh Jesus um, Christ, Jess, what are you doing? But, you're, you're ruining my marijuana medical fantasy. I want to get the Girl Scout cookies crossed with the purple, the purple or the brown tie, the old school, the chocolate tie. Do you think the chocolate tie ever existed or is it a myth? I don't know. Um, I'll go get my container for you. We can, we can pause because now like, I feel bad. Don't feel bad. I think it, I think it shows that you don't fetishize weed the way I do. I'm like sick oh with my this God, shit. Dead ass. Don't at all. No, I, I, I am somebody, right. That if I smoke weed, I'm going to smoke weed compulsively and alcoholically like immediately. Like even, I'm doing it vicariously through you right now. Um, but it's like, you know, we came up with this, our, our, our big phrase of the year was the alt-recovery movement, which is like that there are infinite paths to wellness, and the most important thing is happiness, right? Oh, you're gone. So, yes. Um, I, I smoke any indica strain. I'm not picky. Um, I don't really care about dosage or THC level. I care about an indica strain putting me to sleep. <laughs> so that's, that's all that I do. There's a couple of, um, I usually get pre-rolls because I'm lazy. I really shouldn't do that. It's expensive enough as it is. Um, but there's one strain that I get every time they have it and it's called bio Jesus. Bio <laughs> and that Jesus. one is so good. I love that one. The bio Jesus Indica pre-roll. 
Amazing. They don't have bio Jesus pre-rolls. It's flour. So I have to roll it myself and I'm so lazy that I don't like to do it. (laughs) Now, let me ask you this, like, and it's a really, it's a sticky kind of question, right? I know that if I was smoking weed again, like I would smoke it alcoholically and compulsively and all those things. But, um, whatchamacallit, like if you're in recovery, doesn't the bud still get you high? So yes. How does that work? How does that work? For me personally, I can only talk about myself is I smoke a joint at night right before I go to bed. And then I just go to sleep. Um, so for me, I don't feel as though I'm like really high. I don't know, that doesn't really make sense. Um, it doesn't, you don't smoke weed to get high. You smoke weed to help you go to bed. It helps you. Exactly. Sleep. You know, I, I don't use it compulsively and um, I use it as a, as a tool, as a medicinal tool, because that is what it is intended for, for me. And it works, you know, um, the, the worst thing that I might do is eat mad cereal before I go to sleep. <laughs> right. What kind of cereal do you like? Yo, listen, cereal is the best stoner food ever. So I love tricks, even though they tasted so much better before they took all the cancer out of it, you know? Um, <laughs> I didn't even know they had Frosted. cancer in tricks. Keep going. You know, like the red dye number three, yeah, 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 red yeah. dye number seven or whatever the fuck it was. Um, I love frosted flakes, cocoa crispies, all cereal. You see, did you see they're doing the frosted flakes with marshmallows now? Oh, that's going to slap. Yeah. That's it's bananas. Um, but the I'll, only reason I will like snack and like eat food before I go to bed is because my back patio is right by my kitchen. I have to walk, I have to smoke outside and then walk through the kitchen. So what am I going to do? Not eat cereal? Well, of course. <laughs> it's the worst thing I do. Of course. But let me ask you this, because you had been to the mat with drug addiction, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, your, your fucking story was ridiculous and like, and, and fucked up and sad. And like as debauched and dopey as it got, you know, um, do you ever get scared of this? Like, is there any kind of like looking in the mirror and being like, oh, my God, I'm getting high. Like, does that does that ever pop into your head? Like fear? It literally it literally never pops into my head at all. Um, I firmly believe that this plant was put on the earth for us. I believe in its medical benefits. I believe that it is my medicine. And I never one time ever think that I'm relapsing, that I'm not okay, that it's a danger to my sobriety. And the minute that that thought pops into my head, if it ever does, I hope it doesn't, I am straight back to my therapist. Um, I, I really don't see it as me relapsing. I see it as me medicating and treating my mental health And that's something that we need to talk about more because quite often when people fall into addiction, it's because they have untreated mental health issues and because they're self-medicating their mental health. We're talking about schizophrenia, ADHD, bipolar, um, PTSD, depression, all kinds of reasons is why people, or there are many different reasons why people go to substance use disorder. They struggle with that because of untreated and undiagnosed mental health. At this point in my life, I am treating my mental health with the help of medical professionals, and I do not see it as a danger to my recovery at all. I see it as I'm finally taking the necessary steps to treat something that has been wrong with me for years and years. And I'm so proud of that because reaching out for help is never easy. So I, I really don't believe that it's a danger at all. 
Well, I think personally, I, I just think you're incredibly brave and I think it's incredibly important to anybody who is an addict to hear a truthful story. And I think to not tell the truth is the biggest danger to all of us, you know, because if we need the information, we need to know how it worked for you, how it worked for someone else. And I think that's just critical to our community. I think it's very, very, very important for, for people to, to resist judging and shaming as, as fun as it is to judge and shame and gossip. Sometimes it, it's just destructive to a community. You know what I mean? Because we're supposed, I mean, like, you know, whatever reason, Bud is here on the earth, like humanity is here to get along. I mean, the best version of humanity is to get along. It is not to fucking shame and hate and all this bullshit. Um, if you were to play armchair psychologist, why would you imagine that people freak out when you come out? I think it's a combination of things. I think the first one being that a lot of people in the recovery community feel as though I'm taking something away from them when I say that I'm sober. They feel as though that, you know, I am, I'm not sober. They feel like it's a direct attack on their recovery and their sobriety when it's not. Um, It could be, you know, some jealousy, but there's also very clear evidence that cannabis can be addictive. It does have addictive properties. Um, so some people cannot smoke and be um, be okay afterwards. So I never want to say that this is the way that you should follow. This is the right path. Get everyone smoke weed. I never want to say that because our brain chemistry is different. What is helpful to me and what is medicine for me could be very dangerous for somebody else. I think it's important to say that. Um, so a lot of people are attacking me probably because they're hurt. They've seen someone smoke weed and then relapse, or they themselves have smoked weed and relapse. And instead of seeing the whole picture, they're using their very negative and very sad life experience to put me into this category that they've created because they've gone through it. Um, and their idea of recovery, their idea of sobriety is not my responsibility. You know, my mental health is my responsibility, not their opinion and not their judgment or shame. And I believe that most people are not hurtful. I don't think people mean to be vicious. I don't think they mean to be nasty. I think they are either misinformed or they're hurt. And they have now found a place to direct that pain. And I am that person right now. Um, well, that's okay. How, how much hatred are you getting? So I have blocked words. It's very difficult for people to see now. I have had to put certain things in in my blocked words because I came out. Um, but, you know, I'll get DMs of people yelling at me. I'll get emails of it. Um, but I, I would have to say that it's about 80-20. 80% positive, 20% negative. When we're talking YouTube, when we're talking TikTok, that is 50-50. <laughs> right. And, and Instagram? Instagram has been pretty good. You know, I, I haven't really seen any hate on Instagram. Um, people, some people are concerned and they voice that concern, but I don't, I wouldn't call that hate. So Instagram is probably 95% positive. Right, right, right. And again, I mean, I think the only point, I mean, the only point in my experience around recovery is, is to, is to use love and compassion. You know, I, I knew that was the way to go. And for me, 12 step, like I did 12 step and love and compassion is the code and I'm down with that. And, um, and I used to like mock everybody who was on 
some side, some kind of like medical assisted thing, but I realized that that's not helpful. You know what I mean? And I was probably jealous and I was probably afraid. So like the, the purpose is to be loving and compassionate, uh, especially around people like us. You know what I mean? Because we've all been through the fucking mill with this, right? It's For like, sure. And just to add on to what you said, mental health matters you know, so we have to also treat mental health. Yes, treat, treat addiction, treat substance use disorder, but we also have to, in tandem, treat mental health, you know, build a happy and supportive life outside of addiction. We have to cure our social, emotional, physical, environmental health, mental health all together to, to be, you know, healthy after addiction or healthy after prison. Um, I think mental health is not focused enough in this world. I think that people believe that mental health is a cop out. You know, if I had a, a broken leg and I was on the sidewalk, no one would come up to me and say, oh, my God, you're deaf. You just want attention. This is a cop out. You just want to smoke weed. Just get up. You're fine. So don't say that about mental health if you wouldn't say it about my physical health. Right. So um, totally. I don't know where I was going with that. But no, I know what you mean. It's like mental health isn't something you can see. It's not, it's, it's right. not something that you can just experience. How long did it take you to find the, the, the okayness with doing it? Like to find the courage with being like, this isn't working. I'm going to do it. Like, was it a, a, over years where you were like, I can't do this. It's like, it's going to show the wrong side. Like, were you ever afraid? Like I'm hearing you now, you're saying like you, don't experience it as a relapse. You know what I mean? Like you don't experience that, but before you did it, were you afraid of that being part of it? Like when you succumbed to it or succumbed to it? You know, I really don't think I was ever afraid of cannabis because my family is half conservative, half hippie. I grew up, um, you know, with festivals and concerts and making hemp bracelets and, you know, tripping acid and shrooms and stuff like that. Um, which I'm terrified of. I would never do acid. I, I don't fucking need that shit. But I was never, weed was never demonized in my life at all. I was always told by my cousins and my mom, and, you know, if it's from the earth, it's okay. Pills and powders are not. Don't do that. You know, they demonized the other things I was doing and justifiably so. So weed to me was never a concern. It was never demonized. It was something that, you know, half of my family broken home, uh, was very accepting of and believed in completely. So when I started to realize I need extra help, my mind kind of just went there because I can't do anything else. And I know that I can't. Um, many people in my family medicate and they have my whole life. So I, I really was not scared and I'm still not scared. I'm proud of myself. I'm, you know, I'm kind of liberated by being able to even say out loud that I use cannabis in recovery, but the journey to saying it publicly, that was harder than my decision to, to go to a doctor and get a cannabis card that like saying it out loud. Um, that was a huge journey that took a long time. And I realized that I was walking on eggshells in my house. I do a lot of live streams. I do a lot of Instagram and TikTok streams, and I would have to make sure that if I was in my bathroom or something, I have like this little container um, that I have in my bathroom that I didn't leave it out or something. Or if I was in my backyard that I didn't like leave a joint on the, on like the brick part of my stone wall or something, I didn't leave anything out. There was never anything out. You know, there was one time I had come back from the dispensary and I had the bag sitting on my counter 
and I was in a live stream and I had to like move it. <laughs> Thankfully it's just a black bag, but if you're in the Chicago area, you know, you know, what, so, what made you come out? Like, what was the, the final straw? Like you're hiding it from, you're basically hiding it from the audience and you're basically saying like fearful that this, uh, you know, cannabis use undoes your story, right? Isn't that the fear? Like that, holy shit, my story is about me being this addict and I got clean and my life is better and now I'm smoking weed. Does that, the fear is that it ruins the story. So I guess my fear was just that something that helped me and something that I loved was going to be shit all over on the internet. You know, um, that was my fear more than losing subscribers. It was that people were going to attack this and they were going to just shit all over it. So, um, it took me a long time to be able to get there, but it also, I also realized that abstinence is not my brand. Transparency is my brand. And if I'm not being transparent, I'm not being my authentic self. And that is where I had a huge problem with myself. And that was just the moment where that light bulb came on. And I said, hold on, you're afraid that people are going to shit all over this. So what? You have to be honest. You've been honest and open and transparent about the hardest things in your life. You can't not tell them this. Right. And once I realized that, I was like, oh, my God, I'm hiding I'm hiding this from them because I'm scared, but what if it helps them? What if me sharing this, like everything else I've shared is a turning point in someone's life and they feel as though they feel less alone because I'm openly saying this on a very large platform that this is who I am, what I do, this is my medicine and you are still sober, I'm still sober, you're valid and so am I. So that idea popped into my head and I was like, I need to get this video up tomorrow. Like, how could I have gone this long without saying anything? Because it had been, you know, like months and months of me not saying anything, a year, I guess. Right. You know, and I was like, no, this is not okay. Like, you you have to say it. And also, I, I flew to L.A. and I met with some people. Um, I met with the Pop Brothers at Law. I met Mark, Mark and Craig. And in this meeting with Mark, I told him, I'm about to come out of the weed closet he jumped up and was so excited that I could now be an advocate for medical marijuana and cannabis and recovery. And his energy helped me feel so much better. You know, I knew that he had my back and not only did he have my back, but my friend and manager, Matt had my back. Reese has my back. All of these people, my friend, Jen, you've met Jen cutting. She had my back. And then I just realized, um, there's so many people that I feel like I have to give shout outs to now. Like I've just deserved, like I've just won an Oscar. Yes. I'd like to thank, I'd like um, to thank freeway Ricky <laughs> Ross for coming on my show twice. Yeah. I, you know, like all these people helped me, you know, every conversation that I have with someone off camera and, you know, public or all the conversations I have with people privately and off camera, they all helped me in some way feel more comfortable to share it online and the way that people would get excited about me sh telling them that I was going to come out of the weed closet, I was like, okay, I'm ready. So over the course of like, it was a very short time, probably a week and a half or two weeks is when I decided I have to put this video out. In those two weeks, all of those people were so supportive and kind to me. And I was like, let's drop it. Let's go. It's fucking happening. I even have, you know, a friend that's a former police officer, G-man, or tested metal on Instagram, he smokes more weed than Cheech and Chong. And he's like, yes, like this is mental health and cancer recovery. Share that shit. So that helped me with the courage to say it out loud. 
Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, um, it's crazy because in, in the dopey community, there's a lot of talk about this right now. And there's a lot of like, people are scared. You know what I mean? Cause obviously I advocate abstinence because I'm abstinent and because like, I'm scared of losing everything I have, you know what I mean? And I'm happy. Like I don't suffer insomnia or depression. I have no PTSD. I didn't give birth to anybody anywhere. You know what I mean? Like I don't have that issue. Um, but mostly I advocate happiness to the listeners and like, I just want people to feel like they are in their own reality. You know what I mean? And like, like somebody posted the other day, like uh, an article about Demi Lovato and she's fucking drinking and smoking at her pace and she's an addict. And the whole article was about, there is no one size fits all model to recovery. And I think that's important because some people, I mean, like you didn't jibe with AA and rather than fucking suffer and maybe start taking Xanax and then start, you know what I mean? The relapse becomes profound. Instead, you found a way to deal with your shit the way that you could. And I think that's the most important thing. It's like meeting people where they are at because what the fuck else can we do? You can't force anybody to do anything. I love being abstinent. I loved smoking weed, but I couldn't do it in recovery. If I was going to smoke weed, it would be to get high, fucking eat, listen to Pink Floyd, play music, like be a stoner. Like if I smoked weed, it would to be it would be it would be to, to be a stoner. You know, and I'm not certain that in my old age I won't be some rickety old Jew on the rocking chair fucking <laughs> getting down with it. But that's not now. Now I'm enjoying my abstinent-based recovery, and I am a little bit jealous of you, but I'm also really happy that you showed the courage to do this and that you're such a positive, um, you know, ambassador to the world about a different form of recovery that works for you. You know, I, I really just thank you so much. You, you're so fucking awesome. All the support and kindness you give to me um, is, is awesome. And I give all of that right back to you. You're not going to be an old rickety Jew in a rocking chair. Like one day, God willing, I will be an old rickety Jew in a rocking chair with like a bong with ice in the bong, my guitar by my side, an old hound dog with his head against the floor. And we'll be listening to like dark side of the moon and remembering the old days. One day, like a cabin in the woods. Just no, I, I see it on my porch. Like I see it on a porch in a rocking chair. Maybe there's a some kind of rifle hanging up behind me because I've I've gotten oh into God. shooting things in my fair spare time. I don't know. That's oh, just a weird. On. What? Are you a are you you're not a felon? No, I'm not a felon. No. Then I'm jealous of you. I want to shoot things also, but I can't do that. <laughs> I, I don't. Re I don't. I, I don't really want to shoot things. I just imagine myself in overalls with a rifle, <laughs> like hanging up. Like I don't know. It's just a weird kind of hillbilly Jew rickety fantasy I have in the back of my mind. I know my dad, so funny. my dad's listening to this and he's getting nervous. He gets nervous around <laughs> stuff like this. So it's okay, dad. Don't worry. Um, Jess, you are a great uh, example and a brave soul. And what about the fucking, uh, they're naming a strain of weed after you. What about that? Yeah. So that's not official yet. Um, but we are having conversations about potentially creating a Jessica Kent strain. Um, if it doesn't happen with the people that I'm currently in contact with, then I'll find another way to make it happen. Um, which I think is so 
is so cool on so many levels. My brother's going to be ridiculously jealous of that. Um, What's it going to be yeah, called? That... Just Jessica Kent? Or is there got to be some kind of like thing? I can't tell you that. Oh, you have a name? Um, I have a name in mind, but I don't want to share it yet. Does it have the word dank in it or the word purple in it or no? No, because that's that's overdone. We have many things with that in it. So is it is the word slap slapping slapping cereal with Jessica Kent dankness strain? It's, no, I'm not telling you. <laughs> I cannot wait. That'll be the next the next announcement. Um, but we need to show love to every form of recovery out there. You know what I mean? Oh there, my gosh, absolutely. There is no one size fits all, and the fact is that you got out of one of the craziest lives I've ever heard of. Right. And you smoke, you know, um, I was very happy in abstinence for a long time and abstinence worked for me for a long time until it didn't until I realized I wasn't treating my mental health. And that awakening was like, bitch, get yourself to a professional. Like this is not healthy. This is very severe. Um, so, you know, abstinence was great. And I think I needed all of that time in abstinence first, you know, to enjoy, um, learning who I was without anything else to, to build a happy life. You know, abstinence was, was so, so important to me. That's an important piece of the puzzle, but it's not the full puzzle. No, of course. And it's your story. And I'm, you want to hear the fucked up, I'm going to say my judgmental guilt ridden thing. Cause I, <laughs> I can't help it at the end of this interview, which is if it all goes badly, right? If it all goes bad, right, and you relapse or you find yourself, like, too stoned or whatever, just promise me one thing, okay? Hello? I'm waiting. No, you'll fuck. If it doesn't work out, you'll try meetings again one day. That's such an old Jew AA thing, right? I'm sorry. But just try it. If, it does, if this doesn't work out, their arms will be open to you. That's all. My arms are always open to you either way, no matter what. Okay, so first of all, I will go back to my therapist and doctor if something is wrong, um, or I even have one thought of relapsing. But I, like I said in the beginning, I was court ordered to do meetings from 16 to 28 until I finally got off of parole, um, which is insane that I was on some form of paper, not just 16. I was on some form of paper from 13 to 28, um, meetings starting at 16. But um, I've been to meetings in four different states. Every meeting that I possibly could go to in upstate New York, I went to, and I never had a positive experience. I know, and I know. People I know. will say, like, just find another meeting, just find a different sponsor, find a different thing. Like, just it's okay, work the steps. But I, I don't believe that that is what helps me, um, and that is reaffirmed with all the judgment and shame that I'm getting in, from the recovery community. Um, but I'm, I'm unbelievably grateful for it because I wouldn't have people I love without that program. You wouldn't be here without that program. Of course. It's amazing for so many people, but not for me. You should have a, you should make bumper stickers that say weed is my new sponsor, bitches. I'm <laughs> you sorry. Need, I had someone say on TikTok the other day, they said, I was talking about mental health and talking about cannabis and they said, you just need to find a higher power. And I said, um, cannabis is my higher power now, Linda, like shit <laughs> that's so funny oh my god that's so funny but i i just say it because you know because i think i get scared but i i support you in your journey and like meetings don't work for everybody they just worked for me because i was in that perfect 
moment that I needed them to. And it worked because of that, you yeah. know? So like the world is a crazy and mysterious place. And like, I think you're obviously killing it and you obviously care about, you know, I mean, even though we have different like listener groups, we have a shared community and I know you care about them. And I know that you want to give back to them. And I think that your story is incredibly important for everybody to hear. As well as yours. That didn't make sense. No. Yours is as well. Do you think I was too judgmental with saying you should go to meetings when you fuck this whole thing up? Is that fucked up of me to say? No, no, I think that that's what you believe. And I think that, you know, if I was talking to other people, I definitely recommend that program to people. Um, you know, I, I'm not someone that says you have to, but I always say, have you tried? Um, have you gone there? Um, I, I used to do Al-Anon meetings and I loved them. So it's not, I wouldn't say that it was judgmental. I just think it's your belief system. No, I think, um, I think I love the way you talk about stuff. You have an amazing <laughs> open-ended way to do it. And I, and I love that. And, um, and I want to thank you, uh, for being a part of the dopey nation, being a part of the dopey community. Because it's all about openness and it's all about reality and it's all about like whatever works for you. And like, because if you look at your mug shots, if you hear your story, you're a fucking miracle. You know, it's miraculous what your life looks like now. Yeah. Like I literally overdosed twice. Um, I shouldn't be here. I've had my stomach pumped. I have, you know, I've been homeless. I've lived in trap houses. I've been beat up by COs. I've been beat up by cops, not beat up, but I've been really fucked up by cops. Um, I've had my door kicked in. I've gone through all of it. I've been pistol whipped. I've been robbed. I've gone through so much stuff. Um, and it almost just seems like a bad dream, you know, prison, although it caused me PTSD, that was probably the easiest part of my life, you know, and that was hard as hell too. So, um, it, it was definitely a very intense ride and I'm grateful to be here. I know that so many people, including a lot of my friends don't make it out. So the fact that I'm even breathing is something that every day I'm grateful for every single day. It's amazing. So how did it feel to come out of the weed closet on dopey? Bro, like <laughs> it feels so good just to be honest, because if I'm not, I, I feel it in my soul and it hurts me. So for so long, even though I was advocating for cannabis and recovery, and even though I was saying it in my videos, you know, whatever sobriety looks like to you, there's no wrong path. I say it every day, every video, you'll never hear me not say it, but I wasn't telling everyone, but this is my path. So just saying that out loud is so amazing. And, you know, I, I would rather be hated for who I am than love for who I'm not. Yeah. Kurt Cobain. So hate me for using medical marijuana. That's fine because I know who I am. If you hate me because I'm being someone I'm not, that's valid as you should. But if you're going to hate me for who I am, I will take that every day. And in a weird way, I'm sure it felt like you were lying by omission by not saying, right. it. you know, so a you, little bit. And, and, and you are so like good at doing these videos that I'm sure it was like eating your fucking guts out to not say it. So I'm sure it feels so good to be able to say it. I mean, they would ask me in live streams, what do you think about marijuana and recovery? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And it killed me. I would just had to say in a very, um, a very PC bland way. Like, of course I believe in that. Of course, if it works for you, it works for you. Um, and I, it wasn't my whole YouTube career. You know, I haven't been using cannabis my whole 
you know, life online. Um, but being able to be transparent is something I always want to be. And man, it just feels good. I don't have to worry about like, you know, the questions on live streams, like, why do you have four lighters on your dresser? Is that, are they all for candles? Hey, I'm really into it's candles. Weird. This is for these, this lighter is for these candles. This lighter <laughs> I light the stove with. This is my campfire lighter. Um, so real quick, uh, edibles, no edibles. So I want to start taking edibles. I have some because people in LA just decide to give you edibles for free. I don't know. It's weird. So I have plenty of edibles. Um, they're really strong to me right now, but, um, if I can start taking edibles then I won't have to smoke. So I'm going to try, uh, maybe with a very small milligram because I took like 20 milligram gummies the other day, or I took two 10 milligram gummies a few weeks ago and it was too strong. I felt like my body was fucking vibrating and I'm like, ew, no, hate it. Need to go to sleep. <laughs> so what does I that feel like, like? What does that feel like in cannabis recovery when you take too strong of a dose of the, the indica, the THC indica? Well, you just go to sleep. I do personally. Um, but I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't like this. It's too much for me. Um, so if I'm going to take edibles, then I just have to be very careful with them because I know smoking is not as healthy as an edible. So I do want to maybe transition into that. I also have some disposable vapes. And um, I'm telling you right now, if you smoke a joint for like a week every night and then you smoke a vape, it tastes like fucking soap. And I'm like, it's not cool. But also I'm lazy and don't want to roll. <laughs> the only thing I liked about vaping weed was being incognito with it. The taste was so disappointing. You know, it was so gross. It was so, but no bong hits then. No bong hits. I don't have a bong. Um, I like bongs would be fine. I have a couple of pipes. Bubblers? Like you got bubblers? And I smoke joints usually. Do you smoke the chillum now or no ceremonial chillum yet? <laughs> no ceremonial chillum. Okay. No hookah. See yet. how you like glorify it? And I can tell that you cannot use cannabis in recovery just by this conversation. No, um, no, I could not. I am so simple. I'm like any indica man, and I'm just going to go to sleep. Like, I'm not into it. I'm not into dabs. I'm not into knowing my exact dosage with things. Like, that's not me. I'm just like, give me a joint right before I go to sleep, and I'm straight. <laughs> Every... I don't like sativa. Um, Why not? Because it doesn't help me go to sleep. So if I right. was to use during the day, then I obviously I would use sativa, any sativa brand, any sativa strain, um, and that would be fine. But as of right now, I don't need to use cannabis throughout the day. If my symptoms of PTSD and depression get really bad during the day, I do have sativa on hand just in case. Um, but if I'm filming or I'm on camera or I'm doing interviews, I don't want to smoke and do that. Right. You know, I want to be present and I don't want to trigger anybody. I never want to smoke on camera. I never want to, you know, make someone feel, uh, some type of way if I look stoned, which is funny because when I came out, everyone's like, I can tell you're high in that video. No, you can't. I've never in my life been stoned. For a video. I take my job very seriously and I don't want people to be like, oh my God, this is, I can't watch her. Like my channel is supposed to be a safe space and I don't want someone to, to feel triggered. Everyone thinks I look stoned all the time still. 
all the time. Do they? Yeah, I, I have a permanent stone look to me. Like my eyes are always squinty. I don't squinty. think you do. It's just like I, I'm like I'm stoned from this conversation. I, I wanted to I want to go further <laughs> down the rabbit hole. Everybody I work with is a total stoner. Everybody, and I remember. Um, before I got sober, this dude invited me to his house cause he was into the dabs and like, and I took a bunch of dabs with him and, um, and he was like a kid. He was like a, he was like a 20 year old Dominican kid and I was like 40 <laughs> and, uh, and I left his house and I felt like I was just tripping and I got to the Williamsburg bridge and I like felt like I was tripping. The dabs are so strong. It's crazy. Crazy. My God. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Um, so I think I'm going to like pass and skip on over the dabs for now. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, that'll feel like drugs. That felt like drugs. The, the shit that they can do with weed now is incredible, you know? Um, so I definitely need to do some research and more science, <laughs> Did uh, figure out all the stuff. Did, did Freeway Ricky Ross give you his strain or no? Um, his son actually gave me a pack of his strain, but... I was robbed because my friend took it home and I didn't. <laughs> so you didn't get to try the freeway Ricky strain. Didn't get to try his strain. Amazing. Jess, thank you so much for coming through your story. You are a brave woman. Enjoy your bud. Be careful. And we love you and we have your back too. Hey, well, thank you so much for having me for the third time. And you went 10 minutes over, but I won't charge you for it. <laughs> Dude, um, I, th I think, uh, yeah, it's the third time, including Dopey Con 2. Um, but the second time as just a Dopey appearance, right? I don't know. So you're all stoned. You don't even remember how many times you've been on Dopey. Don't <laughs> <laughs> weed yet today. Listen, I, I support you and thank you for coming through. You're welcome, as always. As always. All right, and that was Jessica Kent. I think she was fucking incredibly brave. Like, you guys might be like, she's not in recovery, she's not sober, she's getting high, but you cannot doubt her courage. Like, she's fucking brave, and uh, and she's, like, just a great friend of the show, and uh, a really, I mean, I could tell, she's a really good person, and this show is not about smoke weed if you're coming off of heroin or meth, or don't. It's about the world is a crazy place with tons of different people and all I want to say is uh, I love it when our community gets along and I love it when uh, there's an opportunity for discourse and for people to have opinions and other people to respect them. And just because somebody does something different than you, just because you're not going to do it doesn't mean it's not right for them. So let's all like be kind to each other. This is like the most Mr. Rogers clothes I've ever done. But let's be kind to each other. Let's care about each other. Let's be let's be of service and love to each other. Because what the fuck? All right, that's it. That's it for me. No more fucking namastes and fucking... Uh, this is not some kumbaya moment. This is just me trying to have a healing moment with the community that we love to call the Dopey Nation. So stay strong, my brothers and sisters in and out of recovery. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. 
wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller, smaller. smaller and smaller and it's high noon where I stand and I wonder would they pay it any mind when I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds because peace and love are very 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 hard to find and I want to be good so bad so bad, so bad, I want to be good so bad, bad desire's all I ever had, damn it, all these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had. Suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I wanna call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had.